Welcome to this message from Journey Church. Our hope is that you'd encounter God and His purpose for your journey. Be sure to visit us online at www.journeykc.com. We're going to be doing uh, talking about today fruit in season. Uh, first of all, how many of you guys are glad that fall is here? I don't know if fall's here or not, but I'm declaring by my shirt that fall is here. I've I've drawn a line in the sand. This is it. I don't care if it's 90 degrees tomorrow. This is fall from here on out for me. How many of you guys are with me on that? You're just done with summer, right? I, all right, all right. I love fall. All right, I love fall. I've got my my flannel shirt on. We we need to. How many men have a flannel shirt? At least plaid. I'm close enough. All right, you need to get one if you don't have one because it's just marking the signs of the times. Uh, how many of you guys love bonfires in the fall? I love bonfires. I was just at one last night. How about s'mores? Anybody like s'mores? Oh, yeah, that's good, good. Uh, all things, how about this one? Uh, how many of you guys like pumpkin spice? Pumpkin spice, yeah. Yeah, you guys cheer more for that than for Jesus. That's, that's a problem, guys. That's a problem. Get that right. I, you can put pumpkin spice on anything, right? I found this thing. Uh, I don't even know if this is real. Doritos pumpkin spice. I love it. I love it. There's even something even better than that. It's what I found. Listerine pumpkin spice. You can just get those tabs. That's awesome. All right. So I love fall. I'm done with the summer. And so what I want to talk about today is I want to talk about different seasons that we live in. And I really felt impressed to talk about this as we're kind of changing from one season to the next. Uh, Psalms chapter one, verse one through four says this. It says, blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of the sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. And here's the key scripture. It says, He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season. Can everybody say season? That's an important word right there. It yields its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither. In all that he does, he prospers. How many of you guys like to prosper in what you're doing and what you're doing today? We, I think we all would like to prosper and bear fruit. The wicked are not so. But they're like the chaff that the wind drives away. So if you're not like this tree described here, planted by the right streams, planted in the right season, your life is probably going to be blowing back and forth a little bit. Has anybody ever felt that blowing back and forth like the chaff in the wind sometimes? That's the way our lives get sometimes. And so uh, when, when we're talking about rivers and streams of water and plants, in those days, a lot of times they would take irrigation ditches and, and run them right beside all these plants to irrigate them so that they would grow grow because it was kind of in a, in a region where it was difficult for them to grow. Sometimes in our life, we get in different seasons of our life where it's difficult for us to grow. But I'm telling you, if we get planted in the right season, in the right stream, by the stream feeding the right thing, then we'll bear fruit. Now, when the Bible talks about fruit, it's not like fruit, like we're thinking fruit. It's really talking about our word results. Would anybody like some results in your life? Some thing, any, I mean, seriously, am I talking to anybody who's awake? You ought to be awake, okay? Results in our life. I used to think when I was in, in a kid in children's church and they would talk about the fruit of the Spirit and they'd have the grapes and the bananas. I thought they were literal fruit. I'm like, I don't know. And so, but they're not. Fruit is the result. So the result of living by the Spirit or the fruit of living by the Spirit is that if you're filled up with the Spirit, the result will be love. The result will be joy. The result will be peace. Would anybody like to have some more fruit in your life? Anybody like to have some more fruit? Because that's what it's talking about here in this scripture. And here's what I want you to catch today. You get the best fruit when it's in season. You get the best fruit when it's in the right season. I was thinking about this this week, that generations ago, we used to have to wait 
for fruit or vegetables to be in season. We used to have to wait for apples to come at the right time. We used to have to wait for the strawberries to come. But now you can pretty much go to the store and pick up a tomato whenever you want to. Why? Because they've added all these additives and preservatives, and so you don't have to necessarily wait until fruit is in season. You can just pick it up whenever you want. But is there anybody here that knows that you can't compare that to going out to your garden and picking a fresh garden tomato? Does anybody know what I'm talking about today? I mean, there's nothing like slicing up a garden tomato or getting some fresh strawberries. You know, you got a picture. These are actually strawberries out of my strawberry patch. And I went and I picked them. And, and man, it was like there's nothing like just going out there and picking the strawberry. And then seconds after it's been picked that you consume it. There's nothing like it. Does anybody know what I'm talking about? The same is true in our lives, that many times we have fruit in our life, but it's fruit out of season. It's fruit that's been preserved in different ways. It has additives, and it's not the best kind of fruit that we could have. And most of us are that way spiritually. The, the thing is that most of us know what season we're supposed to live in. We know what the right season, and we know what the fruit is supposed to be in our season, but we fight our season. Many times we fight the season that we're supposed to be living in. And, and it could be from a relationship season, it could be a ministry season, it could be just a life season. And we know what season we're supposed to be in, but we look at someone else's fruit and we say, I'd rather have that fruit in my life right now. And so we jump over into a season that's not ours to try to bear the fruit that it's not ours either. There's a story in the Bible of a guy named Ahab. Now, Ahab was a wicked king. He was a guy who was really uh, kind of a, being controlled by his spouse, Jezebel. Has anybody ever heard of Jezebel? She was, had a controlling spirit on her, and he was more like a puppet. She was controlling, pulling all the strings in the kingdom. Now, there was this moment when Ahab, he looked over to his next-door neighbor, and he saw that his next-door neighbor had a nice vineyard, a nice thing that would make a nice vegetable garden, and he wanted it. And so he goes up in 1 Kings chapter 21, verse 2, it says, And after this, Ahab said to Naboth, that's the neighbor, he says, Give me your vineyard, that I may have it for a vegetable garden, because it's near my house, and I'll give you a better vineyard for it. Or if it seems good to you, I will give you the value in money. So basically he's saying, here's something convenient. I could get this guy's fruit, and it's convenient. It's close to my house, and I can, you know, I can find a way to get this. But Naboth said to Ahab, he said, The Lord forbid that I should give you an inheritance of my father's. And Ahab went to his house, and he was vexed, and he was sold. Now, Naboth says, listen, I can't give this to you. See, it's been in my family for generations. I've spent years, and family legacy has passed this down to cultivate this ground so that it would produce this type of fruit. And listen, here's what a lot of us are doing. We want fruit quick. It took somebody else generations to get. It took someone else maybe years to get, and we want that fruit now. And, and Naboth said, I can't do that. I can't surrender my legacy like that. I can't surrender my, I, I mean, you guys know, if, if you have soil, sometimes it takes years to get good soil in the natural to produce fruit. The same is true in the spiritual. Sometimes it takes years to cultivate the right type of environment. And we look at someone else's fruit in their life and we say, I want that fruit now. And I, it'd be much more convenient if I had that in my life now. And so we skip over to try to take their fruit. And it never ends up going well. So Ahab, he, you know, he's being controlled by his wife. And I'm not just talking about like being made to go watch chick flicks and go shopping and all that type of stuff. I mean, like literally there's a spirit behind it. And so whenever we find ourselves with a covetous spirit, whenever we find ourselves wanting someone else's fruit when it's not our season, I'm telling you, there's a spirit of control behind it. 
There's a spirit, uh, uh, that, that Jezebel spirit behind it because we want to be in control of our fruit instead of living in the season and by those streams that we were supposed to be planted in. And so we've got to figure out what season we are supposed to be in. So how do we live in the right season and bear much fruit? I believe it all has to do with timing. And so I want to give you a couple quick thoughts about timing and how we need to live in our season so that we can bear the most fruit or the best fruit. And the first thing is this, we have to deal with our time. We, do you know that God exists outside of time? God, it says in the Bible that, that God has always been, that God will always be, that he's eternal, he exists outside of time. If God looks at, the way I, I see it is that God sees the whole timeline of human history from the start to the end, and God sees it all now. From God's perspective, everything that will happen has already happened. From our perspective, we're moving along the timeline. And I think our mistake is we think somehow that God is moving along in time just like we are, but God doesn't move along in time. The Bible says that God sees the end from the beginning. So God has seen it all. And so it's, when you look at it that way, you understand that God knows where you're going. He knows that it's going to be all right. When he says, don't worry about tomorrow, you cannot worry about tomorrow because he's seen it. See, God sees it all, and God exists outside of time. But God created time, though. And so God exists outside of time. He created time. He created time for our benefit. He created seasons. He created times. He created days. He created months. He created years for our benefit. And he uses time as a tool to interact with us. See, when God created days, he wanted, there's two different types of time in the Bible. One is, is the word chronos, which is just the chronological passing of time. And we go days and months and, and years and seasons. But then there's also another word that the scripture uses for time called kairos. And it's, this word is a little bit different. And it's where it breaks into the middle of the chronos time and where God interrupts the logical sequence of events to get your attention. Has anybody ever had God in a kairos moment break through what was normal to get your attention in some way? That's a kairos moment. See, God uses time to, to our benefit as a tool to inter interact with us. Now, the thing about time is this, that it's not an in inexhaustible resource. So in other words, time is limited. If you lose time, you can never get time back. If you were to lose all of your money, if you were to lose all of your possessions, you could work hard enough to get them all back. But if you lose time, you can never get time back. Once it's gone, it's gone forever. Friday night, I had a nightmare. Like in my sleep, I had a nightmare. And I, in my dream, I was walking up slowly to my mirror. And I turned and I slowly looked at the mirror. And when I looked at the mirror, my beard was gone. And I really had this panic moment in my dream. I'm, not telling, I'm telling you the truth. My emotions in the dream were like, what? It's taken me five months to grow this beard. And I can't, I'm behind five months now. How am I ever, I can never get that back. And I woke up from the dream and I was like, thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. <laughs> Praise God. It was awesome. But it's that, it just painted that picture that you can't get time back once it's gone. So time, anything that is limited, a limited resource becomes extremely valuable. If something's a limited resource, it becomes extremely valuable. And time is a limited resource. Therefore, time is extremely valuable. So if time is a limited resource, it's extremely valuable. Would anybody agree that it's extremely important what we do with it? 
And I would make the case then that since it's extremely valuable and extremely important, then one of the main ways or one of the big ways that we worship God is with our time. Because it becomes something, as, as God created it for us, it's extremely valuable, and it's a sign of what we really value. Now, there was a couple sociologists, and they were wanting to do an experiment, and they were trying to figure out, why do some people do good things and do the right thing? And why do some people not do good things and not do the right things? And so they thought, what better place to go and to figure this out than Bible college students? And so they went, and they went to a Bible college, and they took... Uh, three groups of Bible college students. They put 10 in each group and they told them, they said, I want you to prepare a message, a sermon on the parable of the Good Samaritan. Now, if, if you're not familiar with that parable, here's how it goes. Jesus was telling a story. He was illustrating a spiritual truth and, he, and it goes like this. He said, there's a man along the side of the road who was beaten and he was left for dead. And a priest comes by and he looks at the man and he just passes on by. And then there was a Levite that came along too. And he would have been in our day, somebody that works at a church or something. And he too passed by. But then there was a Samaritan that came. And in those days, the people that Jesus was talking to hated Samaritans. And so the Samaritan comes by and the Samaritan actually helps the man that was beaten up, helps him with his wounds. And so it was kind of a scandalous telling of the story that somehow Jesus would use what in their eyes was the villain to actually be the hero of the story and to demonstrate love. And so they said, go preach a message about the parable of the Good Samaritan. And the first group, they told them, they said, listen, you've got to preach this message, but you're already late. You need to go to the other side of the campus and go to the other building over there and go. You're late. Go now. Go now. And then the second group, they said, you're not late, but if you don't hurry and gather your things in a timely manner, you will be late. So they told them that. And then the third group, they said, take all the time you need. Whenever you're ready and you feel good about your sermon, Go over and deliver it whenever you want to. And it was a setup. Because in between the two buildings in the alleyway, they planted a guy who was actually looked like he was hurt. And so they were setting up the Good Samaritan story for these Bible college students to see how they would interact with it. And of the first group that they said, you're late, only one out of the ten stopped to help. Out of the second group uh, who said, you're not late, but if you don't hurry, you will be late, Four out of ten stopped help. And out of the third, the third group, they were six times more likely to stop and help since they had time. And they simply concluded this, that people do the right thing if they have time to do it. Now, how many of you guys would agree that in your life you'd notice that if, if I had time, I would do the right thing? But the problem is many of us don't have time. And we're rushed around and we can't bear fruit in our season because we don't have time. But people, have, people will do the right thing if they have time to do it. John chapter 15, verse 1 through 2 says this, I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. So he paints a picture here of God being a gardener. And he's looking at your life as, as, as a branch, as a tree. And he says, there's some branches in your life that are just dead. They aren't producing any fruit. Can anybody here identify maybe some areas of your own life that you would just have to admit, it's there, but it's not bearing any fruit. And for whatever reason, we haven't cut it off yet. Maybe we just don't want to step into the pain of what it's going to be to cut it off. Maybe we just haven't got around to it. But there are things in our life that are dead and not producing fruit that Jesus says, they need to be cut out of your life to make more time. But he also goes further than that. He said he doesn't just cut off the dead ones, but he cuts off the ones that are bearing fruit 
And he cuts them back so that they could bear much more fruit. Is there anybody here who would like to have much more fruit? See, he even says there are sometimes good things in our life that we have to cut back because not so the, for the sake of bearing less fruit, but so that one day we might bear much more fruit. But this is very, very difficult for us to do. Because so many of us, we want to have our lives filled with fruit. And so here's what most people do, especially in our multitasking society. Here's what most of us do. We want to be people who, who give much fruit, who have much fruit in our lives. And so what we do is we busy our lives with so many different areas and try to look like there's fruit in like 27,000 different areas in our life because there's a whirlwind of activity so that it looks like there's fruit in our life because there's so much activity. But I'm just telling you, activity does not equate into productivity, does it? It does not equate into fruitfulness. And if you were to examine the fruit of each one of those 27,000 activities, there would be not very healthy fruit. Instead of planting in the season and in the place that God has by the streams that God has for us so that we would bear healthy fruit in our season. And I believe this, that the key to really living in our season is narrowing our options. The key to living in the season is narrowing your options. And in our society, we think that the more options, the better. If I had more options, the better. But it's not necessarily true. I know for me, if somebody came up to me after this service and said, hey, Sean, where do you want to go out to eat? I'd be like paralyzed. Like, I don't know. Just please, just pick. How many of you guys are like that? Like, I do not want to think about all the plethora of options out here because there's too many. It's like going shopping. I went shopping for my wife uh, for Christmas. I was buying, trying to find clothes. So I'm out in the mall and stuff like that. And I'm just telling you, I'm like looking around like a deer in a headlights. Like, what in the world? And I'm telling you, ladies, it's rigged against us guys. It really is rigged against us guys because I'm looking at the mannequin and I'm thinking, I want that, but I can't find that anywhere. It's like you got to be a part of the secret club and know where those pieces are, you know? And too many options. The same is true in our lives. If you have too many options, it, it paralyzes us from really producing good fruit. And so what happens, what we try to do is we try to say, well, you know, we've got to do the important things, and everything is important. You could make the case that everything's important in your life, couldn't you? Kids are important. Church is important. Your spouse is important. Your career is important. You know, your, your family activities are important. Couldn't you make the case that everything is important? And this is what we do. We say, I'm just going to do the important things. Yet, we could make a case that everything is important. We could make a case that everything is important in our lives. And the problem when you make a case that everything is important in your life, it's like saying that I'm loyal to everything. Listen, if you're loyal to everything, you're loyal to nothing. You cannot be loyal to everything or you're loyal to nothing. See, there's something about importance. The, the Bible uses the word, I didn't say this in the other services, but the Bible uses the word preeminence, where something rises to the top as the preeminent thing. See, everything can't be preeminent. There are some things that have to rise above other levels of importance because you could make a case that everything's important. And so how do we define what things are important and what things are not important? I, I love uh, Dave Ramsey uses this. Uh, Stephen Covey, I think, is where it originated from. Uh, and, and they kind of use this little matrix, this little grid to try to help us understand. I think our graphics messed up because of the number system, but you'll get the idea. Uh, the, the first box are, are things that are urgent and important. And, and these are things that they have to be done now. They're the loudest wheel in our life, the loudest squeaky wheel, but they're also really important things. Those are the things that we need to do now. 
Okay? And, and then there's the next category, which are important but not urgent things. So in other words, these things are things that really matter, but they're not very loud in our life. They're not the squeaky wheel in our life, but they're still extremely important. And then these things are, are messed up here, these other numbers, but it, the, the next category is urgent but not important. Okay, so you might have things in your life that are urgent, where people, anybody have people in your life that are always coming into your life, just this crisis after crisis? It may be urgent, but it may not be important. It may be their crisis, but it should not be your crisis. It may be things like, like text messages. My kids have, uh, sometimes they're in like these group chats with, the, or group texts with other uh, teenagers in the church or something, and so we have poor cell reception where we live, and so if we ever get into a cell phone reception range, all of a sudden you'll hear ding, 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 all these texts coming in that they miss all this time. I'm like, I'm gonna throw that thing in the toilet. I'm gonna smash that thing, uh, but it seems so important. Social media seems so why does it seem important? Because it's urgent. And then there are things in our life that we just know are not important and they're not urgent. That's the dead branches that we need to cut off. So I think a lot of us, we get the urgent and important things done. Most of us, we do that. I think where most of us struggle are in the areas of the second box. Important things that aren't urgent. One of the main areas that that happens, I believe, is in our relationships. We have so many urgent relationships that we fail to take care of the important relationships. You can apply this to any area of your life. But I think many of us struggle in that second area. Important things, things that could wait for tomorrow, things that may be about tomorrow. They aren't so urgent, and we continue to push them down the road. And, and we don't use our time right, and we don't take care of the important things in our life. Now, I'll just say it really strong. If you have no margin or space in your life, if you look at your life and you are busy wall to wall, if you have no margin or space in your life, I can safely say you're outside of God's will. The Bible tells us that God encourages us and even commands us to have rest in our life. The Sabbath is a day that's built for us to rejuvenate, to have space. Can I just tell you that, that hearing from God doesn't happen in the busyness of life. It happens in the margins of life. Relationships aren't made in the activity, in the, the intenseness. They're made in the margins of life. You know, all these create, creativity in your life doesn't happen when you're crunched and everything has got to be one right after the other. It happens when you have margin in your life. And God wants every person to have that space in their life. It doesn't, it's not going to look the same for every person. It, but at the same time, if you feel like I have none of this in my life, then I guarantee you, you need to prune something back. And the way I look at it is, is we all budget our money. I'm just assuming that. I'm just throwing that out there. That we all budget our money. I know I just said a bad word, budget. But still, uh, we need to do the same with our time. Budgeting our money is simply telling our money where to go. Budgeting our time is simply telling our time where to go. Telling and assigning that. So here's how it looks in my life. I'll put on my calendar important things. They don't even have to be urgent and important. They can just be important. So for me, it might be scheduling time with God, and I'll actually put that on my calendar. It's an appointment that I have. Uh, it, it may be family time. I put that as an appointment, and I block out that time on my calendar ahead of time before everything else. 
Uh, it may be simply that I, I need to read a, a leadership book or something. I'll, I'll put that on there. So then somebody might come to me and say, uh, hey, I've got this really urgent thing. I've got this really urgent thing. And I'll look at my calendar. I say, no, I got an appointment. It may be an appointment with God, but it's still an appointment. Because I told, I, I decided up front what the important things were going to be. The same is true for every single one of us. We have to do that. Now, God is not going to hold you accountable at the end of your life for everything that you've done. He's going to hold you accountable for what you have done of what he's asked you to do. And if we don't create the right space in the right season to bear the right fruit, we'll get to the end of our life and we'll realize that we didn't have time to do what God asked us to do. Maybe we didn't even hear it because there was so much noise in our life. So if we want to live in the right season, bear the right fruit, we've got to deal with our time. The second thing is this. We have to get the right timing. Now, I love these, these photos that they take where they took the picture at just the right time. They're perfectly timed photos. I love this one, this, this guy. That's awesome right there. Just perfect timing. Uh, this other one's better, a little bit better. Yeah, that's, that's going to leave a mark. Uh, that's a problem. Uh, and then, yeah, this dog looks like he's spitting fire. It's just, it's awesome. And then this last one just gets me. I don't know what's going on there. But that's just the most bizarre looking thing I've ever seen. So uh, these, you got to take that down because I can't concentrate with that going on. But in our life, there is a right timing for our right season. Time, sometimes we don't think timing matters, but timing does matter in our seasons of life. Paul the Apostle was looking at this very issue, trying to figure out what the direction they were supposed to go in, in their ministry in Acts chapter 16. Verse 6 through 10, it says, And they went through the region of Phrygia and Galatia, having been forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word in Asia. So they tried to go some, to Asia, but they weren't supposed to go there. They tried that out. And then they went and they come up to Mysia. They attempted to go to Bithynia, but the Spirit of Jesus did not allow them to do that. So they tried that. That didn't work out. It wasn't the right timing. So the passing by Mysia, they went down to Troas. And there a vision appeared to Paul in the night of a man from Macedonia who was standing there urging them and saying, come on over to Macedonia. And Paul, when he'd seen the vision, immediately sought to go to Macedonia. It was the right thing at the right time and concluding that God had called him to preach the gospel. There was timing involved into what God wanted them to do into their season. I love John Maxwell. He's a leadership guru and he, I've kind of rephrased these, but he applies these to leadership. I want to apply it to our life and to our walk with God. That I put it in a little formula form, and it's like this. Wrong action plus wrong timing equals disaster. Is there anybody here who you, you just did something, like just screwed up, the wrong, you did the wrong thing at the wrong time, and it blew up in your face? Usually for me, it's something I say. You know? It's just like, that was the wrong time, that was the wrong thing to say, and it just blows up. There's some things in our life that are always the wrong thing and always the wrong time. Like sin in our life, for example. If we have sin in our life, it's always the wrong time and the wrong thing. And it's going to end in disaster. But then he goes on with another piece of the equation, and it's this. Right action plus wrong time equals resistance. So you may have the right thing in your heart to do, but it may be the wrong time to do it. And if you do the right thing at the wrong time, you're going to experience serious resistance. And I know a lot of people who they get an idea of what the right thing is, and they may be right about the right thing, but don't have the discernment to learn when the timing of that is. Has anybody ever lost track of time before? I remember uh, 
Years ago when I was dating my, my now wife, I was 17 and I had a curfew. I was supposed to be home at a certain time. And I remember sitting in her house and we, we were sitting there, literally, I'm not making this up, watching a Bugs Bunny cartoon. And we're watching a Bugs Bunny cartoon. I close my eyes, I open them back up and it's three in the morning. I had to negotiate that one out with my parents, <laughs> but I had totally lost track of time. And, and we do this in our life. We lose track of the season that God has us in. So we might have the right idea, but it might be the wrong timing. Now, there is a timeline to your calling. There is a timeline. There is a season for your calling. Do you realize that you could be doing the right thing right now at the wrong time? You could, and it feels right because it is the right thing, but it's not the right time. So there is a timeline to your calling. You could be doing the right thing at the right time. Joseph, God told him what the right thing was, that one day you're going to stand up in front of your brothers and be in charge of them. Wrong time, though, and it took him years to get till the right thing became the right time. Noah started building a boat. It took him 100 years. God told him the right thing, but it took a long time before it be, to become the right thing and the right time. David came, and he had, he had anointed king, but, but at the same time, he didn't become king until much, much later. So there's, sometimes we get into a right action, but it's not the right time. Now, uh, the reality is all of those things were part of their calling. They just didn't recognize the season that God had them in. Here's what, I, what I've, what's served me well in my life. I'd rather be a few steps behind Jesus than 25 in front of him. Because every time I get out ahead, it's, it's not very good. And many of us don't have the patience or discernment to do that, but we can cultivate that when we start to discern what the right time is. Uh, I've shared this story before, but it's a guy I know who, uh, when he was a teenager, God called him to preach to thousands and to pastor a church of thousands. And so here he is as a teenager, and he, he's trying to you know, figure out what he's supposed to do with that. And is he going to just stand up and start preaching? Does he need to like, pastor a church immediately? What does he need to do? And, and he understood the right thing, but... It, he understood also it wasn't the right time. And so uh, the only thing he could find was to become a janitor at a church. And so he decided, I've got the right thing, but I'm going to be faithful in the season that God has for me and be faithful in this until it's the right time. And so he decided that everything he was going to do, he was going to do to the glory of God. I'm going to vacuum these carpets to the glory of God. Lord, let everybody who comes in here, and he started to preach to the, to the carpets. He started to preach uh, and to practice and to develop that because he had the right thing, but it wasn't the right time. And as he tells the story, he's like, I'd go into the bathrooms and I'd start praying over all the stalls. And I'd get in there and as I was cleaning those toilets, I'd start praying, Lord, let everyone who sits down on these toilets, Lord, let them feel your presence. Lord, let, let anything come out of the life that needs to come out of their life. I'm just telling you how he told us. And it's just like, I'm just let everything. And he was faithful and he preached to those toilets. And today he pastors the church of thousands of people because he was faithful in the season that God had for him. Another part of the equation is this wrong action plus the right timing equals a mistake. You may feel in your life right now that you need to do something. It's time to make a decision. But if you're not careful and you do the wrong action at the right time, it will be a mistake. And I could say it this way. What worked in one season of your life may not work in the next. Because some of us, we just automatically, we feel like it's time to make a decision, and we just pull a template from another time in our life, and we put it right over this new one. And it becomes a mistake. And then finally, we've got right action plus the right time equals the right results. Now, I've shared this story before, but years ago, I was... 
our church was about 100 people, and we'd kind of been stuck there for a while, and I was really discouraged, and kind of, you know, I, just, I knew that God had shown me other things beyond that, and, and so I was just frustrated, and I was just wanting to quit. And I remember having a conversation with God. I mean, we had been setting up in a school and tearing down for years, and it just didn't seem like we were making much progress, and I was just ready to quit. And, and I remember God and I having a conversation, and, and he said, Sean, if, I, if you knew it was my will to pastor these hundred people for the rest of your life, and it was never anything more than that than whatever you saw, would you do it if you knew it was my will? And I wrestled with that for a while because I wanted to have more fruit and I wanted to not be stuck in the same spot. I wanted to live in another season. And I finally s- surrendered and I said, yes, God, if I knew it was your will, I would. And after that, shortly after that, that's when the church started to grow. And of course, our church is much uh, larger than that. We've seen so much more fruit since then. The success of that story is not that the church grew. The success of the story is that I surrendered to the right season. Because it's tempting to just constantly, to, to, to say, God, I'll surrender if you give me fruit. But sometimes we just surrender, that's it. And we say, God, I'll plant by these streams of water and just trust that if I'm planted by the right streams of water, that I'm going to bear the right fruit in the right season. And so we've got to wrestle with that, which leads me to the last point, which is this, that we've got to trust in God's timing. And this may be one of the hardest things we do. Because we may be in a season that we don't see the results, that we don't see the fruit, that we don't like our season, that we don't want to prune, but we have to trust in God's timing. And it takes faith to trust in God's timing. Psalm chapter 126, verse 5 says this, those who sow in tears shall reap in joy. And I always wondered what that meant, you know, for a long time. And then I I heard this illustration. I'll close up with this. Uh, But the Sahara Desert is just like this dry and arid place. It's this place that there's only four months out of the year that they get any moisture at all. So every, every food that they have, everything gets grown in those, those times and they store up as much as they can, but then they have to go the rest of the months without that. And so uh, nevertheless, as they, they get as much as they can, pretty soon month by month, they start having to trim back meals. And instead of three meals a day, it becomes two meals a day. And as they go months in, it becomes one meal a day to even down to a, a half meal a day. And the kids are, are hungry. And start, I mean, this happens in the world. We know it happens. We just don't experience it face to face. And so there, as the kids are, are, are hungry and, and the dad is trying to be a good provider, but there's, there's nothing to provide, inevitably it happens that some young boy will come and run up to his dad and say, Dad, I found grain. Dad, I, I found grain. Tonight we can make a meal and we can, we can not be hungry anymore. And, and the dad says, Son, we haven't had grain for weeks, for months. You haven't found grain and, and he says, yes, Dad, I, I found grain. I went and I, and I looked, and, and sure enough, there, in, in where we keep all the stuff, there was this bag, and I reached my hand in the bag, and I pulled out a bunch of grain. And the dad said, no, 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 son, you don't understand. That's next year's seed. If we eat that today, we'll starve next year. And the son kind of tries to wrestle with that and tries to pour that over, and inevitably one day, A few weeks later, the dad goes out and what seems like the most irresponsible, unimaginable thing, he takes the seed that could feed his hungry children today and with tears in his eyes, casts it out before the dirt. Why does he do that? Because he trusts in the harvest and he trusts in the process. You may be here today, you may be in a season that you're casting out seed 
And it's a painful season. And the question is, will you have faith in God's process? Will you stay planted in the season that you're at, even though it's painful, even though you don't see the results, even though it seems with tears in your eyes, if you cast that out, here's what I know. The Bible says that those who sow in tears, there's going to be a harvest one day that you reap it in joy as you're faithful. Would you guys stand up as we close up? Would you all bow your heads and close your eyes for just a second? I don't care what season you're in, what time in life you're in, there's one thing that the Bible says is always right, and it's always right now. The Bible says that today is the day of salvation. And it's always today. So every day, right now, is always the right time for salvation. And if you're here in this place today, and you've heard me me preach this message about God and the goodness of God and different seasons we live in, here's what I want you to know. That Jesus died on the cross, and he paid the price, and his blood was shed to, to wipe away our sin. And he rose from the dead and he conquered it. And he wants to offer real life to us. See, Jesus, God in the flesh, opened up the door for us to have relationship with the Father. He opened up the door. And you may be in this building today and you say, I, I can't believe you know, the things that I've done. Let me tell you, the grace of God wipes away any sin. Jesus' act on the cross was more powerful than any sin you could commit. His power is way stronger. His grace is way stronger. And you may be in this building today and you say, this may be the first time you're in church. Or this, you, this may be the thousandth time. You, you just look at your life today and you, you just say, well, for whatever reason, I'm not right with God today. I'm going to give you an opportunity to pray a prayer to take that first step to get right with God. And if that's you, I just need to know if we need to take a moment out of the service to do that. I'm not going to embarrass you or have you come up or do anything, but just pray right there where you're at. And so if that's you, would you say, Pastor Sean, please pray for me. I need to take that step and say yes to Jesus and start to follow Jesus. Would you just lift up your hand and put it right back down so we can pray together? All right, thank you. Anybody else? Thank you. We're going to pray together. And I'm going to supply the words for you, but you've got to supply the meaning. And I'm going to have us all pray. Let's all pray this together. Say, Lord Jesus, thank you for dying for me and for wiping away my sins for paying the price. I confess that you're my Lord, that you're in charge of my life from here on out. And I'm going to follow you all the days of my life. I receive your grace by faith in the name of Jesus. Amen. Lord, I thank you so much for those who've said yes to you today. Lord, I pray that as they walk out of this place, that they'll have a revelation that their life, their old life is gone. Everything before this moment, it doesn't matter anymore. It's, it's not, it's been wiped away. It's a brand new day and that they are a brand new person. Lord, I thank you that they are going to have a revelation of what it's like to have new life, a brand new life in you. And for that, we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Listen, if you prayed that prayer right here on these speakers over here or in the back by the offering box, we have a pamphlet called What's Next. And I believe if you'd pick one of those up on your way out, it'd really help you get started down this road of following Jesus. Amen. Can we worship the Lord one more time with the worship team? Let's worship him. We hope you enjoyed this week's message. For more information about Journey Church or to browse our media library, visit us online at journeykc.com.